Welcome to Insights at the Edge, produced by Sounds True. My name's Tammy Simon. I'm the founder of Sounds True, and I'd love to take a moment to introduce you to the new Sounds True Foundation. The Sounds True Foundation is dedicated to creating a wiser and kinder world by making transformational education widely available. We want everyone to have access to transformational tools such as mindfulness, emotional awareness, and self-compassion, regardless of financial, social, or physical challenges. The Sounds True Foundation is a nonprofit dedicated to providing these transformational tools to communities in need, including at-risk youth, prisoners, veterans, and those in developing countries. If you'd like to learn more or feel inspired to become a supporter, please visit SoundsTrueFoundation.org. You're listening to Insights at the Edge. Today, my guests are Lily Diamond and Rebecca Walker. Lily and Rebecca met in 2009 at Rebecca's Art of the Memoir Masterclass. They spent the next decade developing What's Your Story? a self-inquiry method that integrates insights from their combined 40 years of personal and political activism, memoir writing, and their practice in Buddhist, Hindu, and Western healing traditions. Rebecca Walker is a best-selling author, lifelong activist, and TV and film producer. She was named one of the most influential leaders of her generation by Time Magazine. Lily Diamond is also a best-selling author and a photographer, wellness advocate, and creator of the award-winning blog and memoir cookbook, Kale and Caramel. Together, Rebecca and Lily have written a new book. It's called What's Your Story? A Journal for Your Everyday Evolution. It's comprised of 150 questions designed to be answered in as little as five minutes or as long as a lifetime. These are deep questions, questions that ask us, that move us in the direction of claiming our narratives as people and also using the power of our imagination to create our future. Here's my conversation with Lily Diamond and Rebecca Walker. I'm here in Boulder, Colorado from my home, being joined by two new friends, Lily Diamond, who's joining us from Maui, and Rebecca Walker from the Los Angeles area. It's great to be with you. And to start out, I'd love to know how the two of you met and became collaborators. (laughs) It's great to be here. And what a great first question. Thank you so much, Tammy, for having us. Um, and I think I'll let Lily answer this question. I want to hear her version. Reminds me of the beginning of um, Big Friendship, hmm. the book that we are just Yeah, the sharing. origin story. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. It's so good to be here with you, Tammy. Thanks for having us. Um, I was just reflecting on this, actually. I think about it often. But um, Rebecca and I met in 2009. Um, I was 25 years old and I'd just come through a period of really great loss in my life of a lot of different kinds, Um, very significant heartbreak, a big move, um, and my mother became very ill and had passed away just a year before. And I was in a space where I was deeply seeking to rewrite many of the stories that I held about myself and the work that I did in the world. And um, I was leaving one part of my life and my work, and I was wanting to take a writing workshop to get back to what I knew was most true for myself, which had always been writing and storytelling. And um, I got an email about Rebecca's Art of Memoir Masterclass that was happening on Maui. And it was starting the day that I was leaving behind the old work that I had been doing, which was um, as a yoga teacher and philosophy teacher. 
And I stepped into that course and um, met Rebecca that day and it completely transformed the trajectory of my life. And I took that class with Rebecca and I hadn't really thought at that moment that I was going to be um, telling, you know, the stories that I needed to tell, that, that it became clear that I needed to tell and the truths that I needed to tell. But through the uh, course of that time, that week together, and then as Rebecca and I began to work together more deeply, um, I started to assist in some of the Art of Memoir courses. Uh, I, the, the scope of how we were working together really deepened and transformed. As I was writing new stories for myself, we began to rewrite the story of our relationship as well. And um, what you know began as real mentorship, and Rebecca very much still is a mentor of mine, also became a friendship and a collaboratorship. And we started What's Your Story a couple years after that in 2011. And the past decade has really been this process of cultivating the method of What's Your Story, these questions that bring us to the truths that we carry that are often so hard to name um, on our own that can be terrifying to name. And so um, starting to bring some of those questions together, many of the questions that you know I asked myself that we asked ourselves as we moved through the course of our connection and our uh, relationship. Um, so yeah, I'll leave it at that and Rebecca, please fill in any origin <laughs> story elements that I may have left out. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you did a great job. I, I mean, I would say um, I was living on Maui and uh, at the time deep in study with one of my most important teachers, a uh, Tibetan, uh, a Lama from the Tibetan Buddhist tradition, and was not only teaching Dharma, but also um, figuring out a way to integrate my writing practice with this spiritual practice. And so when I was, um, so, so, so Lily appeared at the very first Art of Memoir uh, uh, masterclass. And so I was in this space of, of really trying to figure out how I could be most of service to the people who were drawn into this space and how I could help them to release some of the old wounds and old um, stories that they were carrying and that were so heavy, you know, on their bodies and their minds through the process of writing. And Lily came in and I remember her from the very first moment as, as sort of this kind of, um, uh, tender, light being, very curious, very open, but also um, someone who was clearly carrying a lot of pain and, and confusion about where she should be, you know, in her own life. And, and I was really drawn not just to my sense that I could be of service and, and help her, but to her, what I saw immediately as her own capacity, her own potential for being able to actually do the work that I was offering, which was to go deep into her story and release it and to, and to blossom and, and really come into her own fullness, which is what she has done. And it's been wonderful to, to sort of um, watch and, and, and co-create our relationship as it's moved from that to where we are now, which is um, in a deep friendship, and um, uh, and and we are now happily co-authors of this incredible book that has really come out of everything we've ever done together. So, uh, so that's you know what I have to add to our origin story. Now, that's a little bit about the origin story of the two of you and your friendship and your life as collaborators. But now we get into the origin story of What's your story? This actual book of 150 questions designed to be answered in as little as five minutes or as long as a lifetime. And there are questions in this book that I read, you know, some of those questions I was like, yeah, that would take 
that would take a lifetime or a hundred journals to answer a question <laughs> like that. But what I want to know here at the outset, as you talk about the origin of what's your story, is would you say that there are principles or foundational ideas that underlie the method of the book, that really underlie this method of self-inquiry? Absolutely. I mean, you know, they are, I would say, um, that one, um, in order to create a better future for oneself, in order to change, evolve, transform, release, imagine, um, move into a more fulfilled, aligned, happy, empowered, righteous selfhood, one must honestly, deeply, courageously excavate um, one's story, the, the thoughts we carry about ourselves, uh, the places we've been wounded, the, the, the stories others have told us about ourselves, the, the, everything that we've ever known about ourselves needs to be examined, <laughs> you know, and, and assessed based on whether it serves us or injures us. And, um, and the process of doing that creates a kind of release from it that opens up a new space of imagination and a new space and potential for um, changing one's story and um, embodying a new uh, set of, of ideas that, that one has written for oneself you know, that, that has not been given to one by one's parents or one's culture. Um, I think that's, for me, one of the most important foundational ideas of the book. Lily, what do you think? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think there's something um, to be said also, two points that I think are, are sort of constellations of that central idea um, and one of those is the kind of the, the absolute willingness to be honest and to encounter spaces and ideas within ourselves that may feel um, very frightening, that may feel like territory that is challenging or confusing or um, that leads us you know, away from um, the concepts that we've held about ourselves, as Rebecca was saying, for, for so long, perhaps a lifetime. And um, to, to be willing to be honest in that way that is often so difficult for, um, for, for humans because, uh, you know, for, for a million reasons, but we are fundamentally creatures that, that seek comfort in so many ways. And during this time, especially that we're living through, to have a kind of um, a guide that holds us and keeps bringing us back to whatever our truths are and to know that, um, to, to cultivate that willingness to continually step into honesty with ourselves first and foremost, um, no matter how difficult things may be outside or, or inside. Um, and, and so I would say that is, is, a, is really at core of the what's your story method. And then the other that I would say is just, again, a continuation or expansion of what Rebecca was saying is um, that as we do this inner work, it begins to shift the way that um, we approach every part of our life beyond ourselves, um, every relationship that we have, the work that we do, the way that we see the environment, the way that we look at our phones, our technology, the way that we interact with our community or even think about community, the way that we think about culture. Um, and, and so that, that kind of uh, transpersonal sense that as we do work within, what we see and experience without also changes. 
I would add to one other thing that fundamentally, you know, this started with writing. And I think this, this, you know, the book is really about writing. It's about the power of writing, you know, and that's one of the reasons we wanted it to be this interactive journal with plenty of space for people to write. We ask questions and we ask people to respond because of this deep belief in the power of writing, that there's something that happens when you hold a pen or you sit at your computer and you you download, you trans, you know, you translate, you articulate, whatever it is, that 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 magic that happens when you commit your story to the page, you know, and then look at it and sit with it and then rewrite it in a different way. You know, that there's something about that ancient experience that is real and enduring and can be that can be offered, you know, in this kind of book. What's interesting is you've both used this term rewrite and Lily, you used it in terms of when you first met Rebecca and that there was a need in your life to rewrite your story. And I think it's interesting, this whole question, and you explore it in what's your story of what does it mean to look at the past and rewrite it through a different lens? And, you know, I just want to start here. I want to share with our listeners the very first question prompt that you offer in the book, because it actually was quite uh, revelatory for me. So you write, very first question, what is your first memory? Did you experience it or did someone tell it to you so many times it came to feel like yours? And I realized in my own life that I had taken memories that other people told me and turned it into my story. And in doing this, I had the chance to actually ask myself, what was the first memory? Nothing like what I had internalized. So I'd love to hear you both talk about this art of rewriting the narrative we think is ours into this new narrative. It's great, great prompt. I'm so glad that you shared that. Lily, you want to talk about that? Yeah, I was going to say um, one other thing about the point before, but it connects exactly with what you've just shared, Tammy. And and that is that I remember when um, I, I first took Rebecca's Art of Memoir course, that she addressed this question that people often carry of, why is it important for me to tell my story? Why Why should I humble old me, why should I dare to share my story? Why is it important? And one of the the answers to that that Rebecca presented was because nobody has lived in your body in this specific time through your mind, seeing and experiencing the world as it is right now at this moment. Nobody else has. And that story in and of itself is distinct, is unique. And yet I think because we we hold often this kind of fundamental lack of self-confidence that is that in and of itself is an inherited cultural story, right? Like who we ask later in the book, who gets to tell their stories in our culture? Whose stories are uplifted and whose stories are silenced? And I think similarly, when we look at memory and our first memories and how that same kind of power dynamic functions within families and within family systems, we start to ask ourselves, well, wait a second, you know, how how am I remembering my own life? Have I written my own life or did somebody else write it for me? And do I now have the opportunity to go back and make my own sense of the pieces that I remember that I, you know, how do I start to cultivate a narrative that is true to what I experienced, not just what all of my family members experienced and told to me, not just what my culture or, you know, the media told me was important to remember. Um, So that I would start there. Yeah. And I I would say, you know, for me, writing memoir was the beginning of that. You know, my first book, Black, White and Jewish uh, Autobiography of a Shifting Self, was about growing up as a mixed race uh, person. My parents met in the civil rights movement. um, And I was, you know, thought of as a movement child. I was the embodiment of a post-racial reality that we are, you know, still yet to even glimpse. Um, 
And when they divorced, I ended up, you know, kind of a, a remnant of a dream and having to move back and forth between these very different worlds of a sort of white, upper class Jewish world on the East Coast and a black Afro Bohemian, you know, progressive world on the West Coast. And, you know, the idea of being a movement child, that narrative, that story of being an embodiment of the future and something positive and something transcendent, you know, that story dissipated. And all of a sudden, my new story was of a being who was um, impossibly fragmented, impossibly split into a million pieces, impossibly broken. Um, and, you know, I've often said that if I hadn't written Black, White, and Jewish, I might have had a you know a mental breakdown because I felt that I was so fragmented, you know, psychologically, and and the book was the very first place that I could see all of the different parts of myself actually in one place, one physical place, and so the process of writing that book was a process of um, um, letting go, refusing, rejecting excavating the story of the broken Rebecca and deciding to claim a story of an integrated Rebecca, a whole Rebecca, a Rebecca that, um, uh, who might, you know, from someone's point of view, be seen as broken and a child of divorce and, and you know, a tragic mulatto, all of those narratives, you know, it, it was about saying, no, uh, that is not my story. My story is one of someone who relates to all, who is a citizen of the world, who is beyond dualism, who um, who loves, who understands that I need to take off the different masks of identity in order to feel truly grounded in myself, you know, and truly connected to all other beings. So that was a that was you know I think that's a great example of of what we mean when we say rewriting our story. You know, and that was an act. It was a, it was a, it was an active process. I remember the writing process. You know, lighting my candles before I would write and saying a kind of prayer. You know, please let me release some of this old story so that I can make room for a new story. Um, and that's really been what my writing has been since the very beginning. So I think it definitely comes out of a lived experience of the power of. Um, of assessing the old stories that, that I have had to carry on my own body in order to make space for my own new story. And also in all of the anthologies that I've edited, trying to make space for new stories in general, you know, from One Big Happy Family, which is about new family configurations, you know, everything from polyamory to open adoption to mixed marriages to house husbandry. You know, I'm always interested in trying to deconstruct old stories of what it means to be, you know, what makes a man was another book, you know, sort of really looking at toxic masculinity, making space for new um, stories about what it means to be a man it was a great project, you know, so I think I have a deep, I don't know what it is about me, a deep longing, a deep calling to do this particular kind of work, to make new stories possible you know, on behalf of myself and others and the culture. That specific example, Rebecca, of you rewriting the story from your past was very helpful. I wonder, Lily, would you be willing to share something personal that how you use this work to reclaim your own narrative from the past in some way? Absolutely. So I can go back to that point that you referenced um, where I took the art of memoir class for the first time when I met Rebecca. Um, and as I mentioned, I, I was in this period of really deep loss and, and grief. And I was also um, working through a life experience of knowing that I no longer wanted to be doing the work that I had spent the past 10 years doing, which was um, studying and teaching uh, yoga philosophy, yoga practice, meditation. And um, in the process of being with my mother and sort of shepherding her through her illness, um, she had uh, very late diagnosed um, endometrial cancer. And as we went through that process together, 
I began to unravel the stories that I had held for many, many years, um, my whole life really, about the way that I had been raised, the ideas that I had been raised with. Um, both my parents were um, yogis, uh, meditators, um, in incredible health, really kind of like shining pillars of, of their community in in the the most new age way possible, <laughs> and had you know had studied with great spiritual leaders and you know in Buddhism and Hinduism and um, I you know traveled the world and I um, in many ways was was their consummate child and um, I went to Yale and I you know studied and I graduated with highest honors and during that time I was also studying to become a yoga teacher. And I graduated and my highest aspiration was to become a spiritual activist and to teach yoga and to really transform the world in that way. And, um, I, and I spent years doing that. And as I watched my mother encounter her, um, her illness and experience her mortality, and come face to face with questioning many of the beliefs that she had held um, as she had formed this kind of eclectic spirituality for herself that I had inherited from my parents. Um, I, I was also made to start questioning these beliefs. How did I really feel about so many of these ideas that I was espousing to hundreds of students a week? How did it really look for me um, as you know, a devout yogini, as a devout meditator, as a devout you know, animal rights activist vegan, um, when, when everything was pushed up against the wall, when we were looking truly at you know, life or death, what did th these ideas mean to me? And what did they mean to my mother? And as I saw, saw her wrestling with them, and as I started to wrestle with them myself, one really big breaking point was um, my, she had, my mother had been a vegetarian for most of her life. And at that juncture, I was vegan. Um, I, she asked if I would, um, according to the recommendation of her, uh, oncological nutritionist, if I would start to make some um, bone broth for her, it was recommended um, for her at the time. And I, I could see as she was asking me, she was actually mortified that she was having to ask her daughter who had become such a staunch vegan that she was actually, my mother who was dying was ashamed to ask for this thing. And I looked at her and I thought, I would probably kill an animal if I had to, if I knew that it were going to make you better right now. And knowing that, maybe I don't actually believe all of the, these lofty ideals that I think I believe, that I've thought I believed for so long. And what does that mean? If so, who am I if I am not these lofty ideals? And so I, that's just one example, but there were so many ways in which, you know, the way that my mother chose treatment also, um, she refused chemotherapy and radiation. And that for, um, for her and, you know, for myself and for my father, uh, was a, that was a very significant um, awakening for me to start to question the assumptions that I had inherited about the medical system, um, the kind of inherent bias that a lot of uh, people in the community that I was that that I grew up in held about the medical system, um, and so as all of this unraveled, um, and after in the wake of her passing, I started to realize that I had to answer these questions for myself. I needed to understand what my story was about you know each of these things the way that i ate the impact that i had on the world on the earth on my community around me the responsibility that i had held as a teacher and how i wanted to teach and how i wanted to reach the people around me um, and fundamentally what i believed was true 
and how honest I was willing to be with myself about those truths. And I found that I actually hadn't been willing to be that honest, that I had been spiritual bypassing a lot. I'd gotten real good at it. <laughs> and that doing that kind of you know, leaping over the truth to get to more convenient spaces of identity um, had done me great disservices and had disallowed me from really um, writing my own story. So that's a bit, a bit of that. Mm -hmm. That's good. That's, it's helpful making it real. Some of the questions in what's your story have us looking back, looking back at our life. How are we rewriting whatever story we've told to date. A lot of the questions have us looking forward, writing as a creative act, as an act of invoking, bringing forward uh, what we might wanna create in our life. I thought this was really interesting. It's in the final section of the book, in the twilight section, you write this question for people to respond to. How do you define a life well lived? And I thought, God, well, that's a really good question because however I define that is gonna have a lot to say about how I live the days or decades left of my life. So I'd love to hear you both talk a little bit about how working with What's Your Story helps us actually create our future. Well, I think that's a great um, prompt to share. Uh, anyone who knows me knows that I say often that um, I want to die a good death and that um, understanding that, that I want to die a good death, helps me to live my life every day um, more meaningfully and more in alignment with what's important. And I think that dying a good death and knowing what's important to us is something that we each have to find out for ourselves through a deep inquiry, you know, through deep reflection on what really matters. You know, at the end of the day, when your eyes close for the final time, you know, what do you want to have given? What, what is important to leave behind? What will give you peace? You know, what will allow you to just let go because you know you've done it all? And um, it takes um, it takes real honesty and um, and and figuring out. I mean, it's very pragmatic. You really have to figure it out. It's not like a mystical thing, you know. It's a kind of it's more of an equation, you know. I happen to know that I need to know that my son is okay. That I have done everything I can for my son. I need to know that I have you know shared every um, gift that I, that I believe I hold with as many people as possible. <laughs> you know, I've done my work. I believe that my partner needs to feel safe. I believe that I need to have taught my students well. I believe that I need to have served my parents in the way that they served me. And, and, and those are things that I have come to after a lot of deep, um, introspection. And I think that this whole journal that our, our, you know, the book that we're offering helps people through step by step to finally be able to look at themselves deeply and to, and to figure out the answers to those questions. What do I need um, to feel free at the very end? You know, what is this life for? And, uh, and so I think, you know, that's really what the book, you know, it, it leads up to that for a reason. <laughs> you know, we want ultimately people to die good deaths and we want to help them. You know, we want to help them die good deaths because when you're ready to die a good death, that means that you've lived a good life, you know? Um, and so hopefully the book will help people to imagine what living a good life looks like. And it's not just buying you know, nice cars and houses and, you know, making whatever, la la la, trinkets. You know, it's about understanding what's really, really satisfying to our souls and our psyches as human beings, you know, what's meaningful. And I think on every page of this book, we ask people to reflect on what 
is meaningful in every situation, in their bodies, when they're working with people, when they're in front of a computer screen, you know, and then yes, when they're about to die, you know, and we ask them to write that down. Let me just share a follow-up question for a moment here, Rebecca. Mm -hmm. What about you, you write down, this is my definition of a life well lived. Mm -hmm. And in that process, you're also reflecting on how you're currently living your life. And there's a gap. There's a painful gap. I could imagine that's when you put the book down and go do the, <laughs> you know, I'm not sure when you, return, yeah, when, you re, when you return to it. What would you say to that person in the process of going through what's your story who encounters that in answering some of these questions? Well, we say, fantastic. That's exactly what you should be going through. This is not easy. Yeah. This, is, this, is a, this is a process. This is a method. We've been doing this for a long time. And, um, and that's exactly what we want. You know, put it down, um, carry the question with you, cry if you need to, ask people what they think is, is you know, wh what they think a good life is, what they think you particularly specifically bring to them, you know, meditate on it. Um, you know, sit with that question until something comes up. I think we both have deep belief and faith in um, the truth that the answer is within. If you just allow it to emerge and to sit with whatever comes up, you know, with, with a kind of fearlessness, you know, it, it could, you know, rage and, you know, I want to do all of these terrible destructive things, you know, and that'll pass, you know, but, but more and more, um, the more you're comfortable with sitting in the discomfort, the more likely those small voices will will come to you, you know, I actually, what's important is this, you know, and even though this person told me that wasn't important, this is actually what feels right to me. And, and those are those moments that then you go back to the book and you write them down, you know, and slowly, 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 you have more of those little moments and less of the, oh my God, I have no idea moments, you know, that's what the book is for. Yeah. And I, yeah. I think too, that, to the person who is sitting with that painful gap, as you said, Tammy, to believe and really hold to the, the truth that we know that change is possible because it, it is inevitable, right? There, we know that there is no escaping that there will be change in the coming you know, moments, days, weeks, months. And to know that even becoming aware of that gap, of that distance, just like me starting to just even becoming aware of that shift, like, oh, maybe the things that I thought I believed, I don't, and how painful that was. But to even have that knowledge as a seed is, is a harbinger of what is to come, of some change that is to come. Now, Lily, Rebecca answered a little bit about how do you define a life well lived? What's your answer to that? Of how I define a life well lived? Oh, goodness. Um, you know, for me, a life well lived is a life lived in deep connection with the earth and with community. And um, to at the end of my days know that I have as, you know, the, the human imprint on this earth and in the communities around me um, done all that I could to protect life, to nurture life, and to ensure that um, in, you know, the spaces, the communities, the relationships around me and on this earth, that new life to come is possible um, in, in the most, you know, functional, realistic ways um, in terms of, you know, the, the, the livelihoods, um, the health of the people around me, the people that I love, um, you know, the ability that people have to care for themselves, to breathe, to breathe clean air, um, to have clean water, um, that there is uh, some transformative and enduring sense of um, righteousness and equity 
Um, I'm reminded right now, I'm thinking of actually Hawaii's state motto, which is ua mau ke'ea o ka'aina i kapono, which means may the life of the land be perpetuated in righteousness. And I think about that a lot. It's, uh, you know, there are words that I was given. It's a story I was given very early on. Um, and for me, it's a story that I think does inform every day of, of my life and the way that I think about how I live on the land and how um, I, I steward the land and, um, and the people on it and the people that I love. Well, Lily, it's interesting that you bring up this passion for the earth. It was a very profound section of what's your story, the section on nature and place. And there are a couple of prompts I'm gonna throw out here for our conversation. You ask, what changes do you expect to see on earth in your lifetime? If our planet becomes uninhabitable, for instance, what will you do? What actions will you wish you had taken? So I thought that was a very profound question for people to respond to. What actions will you wish you had taken? So I wonder if you can speak a, a little bit about this section of the book. At one point, you also prompt people, write a new story of your relationship with the earth. So anyway, I'd like to just hear more about this section of the book. Rebecca? I was gonna throw that to Lily. <laughs> I can start if you'd like. Well, yeah, I like, I, I, I'm, I'm enjoying listening to you talk about the earth and stewardship and Hawaii. Mm -hmm. You know, I think uh, so much of the ways that we approach um, environmental justice right now are connected to other sites of oppression that people are experiencing and questions of intersectionality and equity. Um, and so for me, this chapter is really about how do we, yes, how do we understand um, our relationship to the earth? How do we, how do I write a new story that is, um, is a story of, of my caring for and nurturing this earth that gives and gives and gives, you know, whose resources we think of as infinite and yet we know that they are not, we know that they are expiring rapidly, if not, you know, have that they've already expired to, to some extent. Um, and so starting to shift the story that I tell about my consumption as really, you know, not in a way that is meant to um, be a burden or suddenly, you know, have everyone carrying around, walking around in, in a state of panic, but actually as a means of empowerment, of writing a new story of the way that I relate to nature that, um, that involves, uh, I'm thinking of, of the way that Robin Wall Kimmerer talks about the language or the grammar of animacy in her book, Braiding Sweetgrass. Um, and there's a story there of giving each inanimate object, you know, that we, we consider as not having life because we've placed human life at the top of the hierarchy. Um, but of giving stones and trees and you know sky and clouds and water giving it its own grammar of aliveness its own life and when we stop placing ourselves our own human lives at center and that also means looking at the hierarchy of you know whiteness and white supremacy and how that has affected um, questions of uh, environmental and climate justice and how, you know, communities of color um, are disproportionately impacted by the environmental crisis. When we look at that and we look at giving everything life, everything meaning, we really start to decenter both whiteness and, um, and humanness. And then we have no choice but to to rewrite the way that we see ourselves in relationship to earth. So that's something that I think about and really seek to practice continuously. And then it sort of inevitably bleeds over into, into small things, small actions, you know, carrying utensils with me all the time, not, you know, 
just the small actions um, that for me feel like, okay, I've, I've, I've done little bits of things every day, even as I'm seeking um, justice on, on larger scales for the earth. Phew. Right. And mine are very simple. <laughs> I mean, you know, they're all of that beauty. And then I, I often think when I'm rewriting my story um, with the earth about, you know, I want to plant more trees. I want to grow collard greens. My mother keeps trying to get me to grow collard greens in, in terracotta pots outside. And I can't quite get it together to do that. But I, but I, but I long for that because I want to feel, I want to feel connected in that way to the earth to not just, you know, growing my own food so that I can feed my family, but in the case specifically of collard greens of understanding um, and having a relationship with a food and a practice of growing that food that has sustained my ancestors for generations, you know? So that's one way I want to rewrite my story um, of, of, of the planet, of the earth, of the environment. You know, when I think about things I want to change, you know, I'm in the middle of getting a new car, <laughs> you know, and, and even though I've had a hybrid in the past, I haven't for the last three years. And my son and I have just said, we will never go back. You know, I mean, these are small things, you know, and looking into solar systems and how much they cost and being, you know, you know, and, you know, using our Berkey and not using all of the bottled water, you know, and, and really engaging in conversations about what's happening with water around the world, you know, and the privatization of water and, you know, being aware of um, the ways in which the earth and, and its resources are being commodified and thinking about how they really belong to all of us. And um, we are now being made to, um, pay for it all. And so many people are being um, deprived of those resources that, that, that belong to them. The earth, we belong to the earth and the earth belongs to us. It is all one. We are the earth, you know? So when you say, you know, take care of the planet, take care of the earth, take care of the environment, we have to take care of ourselves. We are the earth, <laughs> you know, there would be no us without the earth. So, you know, rewriting that story has been and is an on it's an ongoing process for me um you know there there's a lot of thought about consumption there's a, a lot of thought about um how can i be more aware in every moment of of how my actions are impacting this earth you know and um and that's that's no small feat that's moment to moment you know, that's, you know, from, from how many, you know, electrical gadgets I have plugged in, you know, that's emitting, that are emitting EMFs and draining various electricity grids that are somehow, you know, being created magically somewhere else. I mean, you know, it's, it's every moment trying to consider what it all means, you know, what everything I do means. So. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, you've both pointed in different kinds of ways to how it takes a certain kind of honesty or truth-telling capacity to get in there with these 150 questions and really do this work. And then I also pointed out how we have to be able to stay and hang in there with the tragic gap in our lives from the life we want to be writing and the life we're actually living and work with that. What other qualities or capacities do you think it takes to actually engage at the level of depth that you're proposing here with what's your story? What does it take? Mm -hmm. I, I think fundamentally it takes imagination and that imagination is something that during times that are you know when when we are collectively questioning so much about ourselves who we are our direction as um, individuals as community as a nation that it is hard to generate the the kind of will to to imagine a different set of circumstances a different set sense of who we are and who we could be um, there's a 
a, a defiance, um, a resistance in being willing to imagine, being willing to imagine a new reality for ourselves. I find it's very difficult for myself. I, um, you know, one of the personal challenges that I have lived with over the past many years is a really deep longing for partnership. And um, it's something that has come into my life in, um, in waves and fits and starts, <laughs> I suppose you could say. And, uh, and I find that there's a way in which the, the longer I live without, the harder it is for me to imagine the kind of deep partnership and relationship that I want, that I know is possible, that I know and that I am fully you know, ready and willing to, to live in and to receive, but uh, the imagining of it becomes more difficult. Um, and, and so I think there's a, there's a real daring that is required um, and, and an imagining. Yeah, and I think there is, there is the need um, to be willing to abandon everything to release everything that you know to be true, everything that you think is correct. Um, there's, a, there's a need to be sort of fearless in that, to, to, to let it all go, which is terrifying, and to, and to be naked, you know, once again in your own mind. Um, naked and free and, and, and clear so that you can begin again. Um, but that practice of letting go um, is, is very arduous, you know, it's not easy. But if you, if you want it, if you want the new birth badly enough, you can do it, you know. So I think you have to you have to have desire. You have to be you have to be done with with living in a way that feels terrible, with holding on to a story that doesn't suit you. You have to be done with it. And in that in that exhaustion of it, that that you know, I don't want this anymore. When you get there, then you you have arrived at the place of being able to create what does feel good. And so I think you have to be willing to, to reach that moment. I'm curious what you both think about what's your story being a perfect book for this pandemic time? Because I notice when we're talking about questions like what will really matter at the end of your life, it seems like there's a willingness in people to ask those kinds of questions. How do we have to reimagine our story with the earth? That there's a willingness to go there now that maybe there wouldn't have been in the same way a year ago. I'm, I'm wondering what you both think about that. Absolutely. I mean, I think that not only in the context of the pandemic, but in the context of you know this this very important reckoning. You know the the you know the fiftieth reckoning of our country with unbelievable systemic racism and oppression of um, of of everyone who is not um, white and rich and male. Um, I think that there is an understanding that not only do we have to grapple with with what it means to live a good life because we could you know die very soon or, or be afflicted in a certain way that would be um, uh, immobilizing. But, but also we have to figure out how to be Americans again. We have to figure out how to be, um, you, know, um, uh, you know, citizens of this moment and to rise to the challenge of facing systemic racism, facing white supremacy, facing um, the kind of tyrannical, um, leadership that we've experienced for the last four years. We have to figure out how to speak to one another, how, how to speak to ourselves, to figure out who, who we want to be, what do we want to believe, what do we think about people who are coming to our country, 
What do we think about, you know, what kind of social safety net we want to have for each other? What do we think about? How, I mean, all of these different, you know, fundamental questions need to be answered in this moment. And, um, and if we don't grapple with those questions and with, and with finding a new story of what it means to be an American, to be a citizen of this, of this place, of, to belong to this land, um, we won't be able to go forward you know, in any kind of meaningful way. I mean, this is a real moment for reinvention. So, and then obviously there's this, the, you know, the issue of us all being at home <laughs> and thinking about all of everything, you know, so much, you know, so in some ways, um, you know, we have more um, time to, to reflect, hopefully, even though, you know, all of us have children and jobs, it's not like we're all sitting around being bored to death. We're all working very hard in different ways, and it's very stressful. But I do think that if people can take this book in this time and just find a few minutes every day, um, that there's a kind of, we're in a chrysalis now, you know, personally and collectively, we're in, we're in something together. And this book can, can help you as a, as a participant, as a reader, as a writer, to, to connect with this larger cultural collective transformation that's happening, you know, and that must happen. Yeah, I was just thinking, as you said that at the end, there's a way in which, as we have all been so laid bare by these past months, that getting to that that breaking point, that tipping point, that crisis point, it's almost like we're all already halfway there. Like, just do it. Just go, just go the rest of the way. Because the answer is you've already thrown the rule book out the window or, you know, the pandemic or the, you know, reckoning with systemic racism has already done it for you. You already know that you've been living through this completely dysfunctional story. And knowing that, take it the rest of the way. Here, yes. we, made, we made a book for you to do it. <laughs> <laughs> so somebody has the book, What's Your Story? And they write their answers to however many of these 150 question prompts they're able to make their way through, as you say, could take five minutes or it could take a lifetime to, to answer these questions. They're using the power, Lily, you pointed at the power of the imagination. They're using their imagination. How does writing and using the power of our imagination to write down our answers to these questions actually create real change? I'm just writing it in my own little book, sitting on the couch, and then I close this little book. Now I've written it. That's, I mean, is that really an action? That's, I'm just writing something down in my own little book. Mm. I mean, I will say to you that absolutely, yes, writing it down is transformative. I don't know if I can give you the science of it. You know, I don't know. I can tell you from my own experience that every time I have written a new story, every time I have written an old story and reworked it, every time I have written a note even, <laughs> you know, that there is something about the writing process that um, puts things into motion, that makes it real, that connects heart and mind and body, that, um, that forecasts, that anticipates, that, that co-creates with the rest of the world something bigger. You know, writing is a kind of declarative, powerful, alchemical experience. It is beyond our understanding. It is, it is this, this time's iteration of you know, the ancient um, tradition of, of telling stories. You know, when I think about the Aboriginal people who were able to tell the story of their people for 10,000 years in a song, you know, that was a powerful ritual that called things into being, that passed ideas down. And writing for us is, is, is similar, and it has, it has all of these different... Um, uh, just sort of rules, truths about it. And I think that one of the reasons that we wanted to do this book in, 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 is that we wanted people to be able to not only, you know, do that act, write that down, but to have it with them, to have 
to have this 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 writing to refer back to again and again as a talisman to remind themselves of what they committed to of what they envisioned and and i think that act of of revisiting and and the repetition of revisiting is a kind of um it it is it is what it is what feeds you as you as you walk toward your dream as you walk into your future when you get to a fork in the road you look back at the book and you remember what you wrote and you remember how you felt and you remember how powerful it was and you and you take the right path you know and that's how you get to where you want to go little by little by little and so writing um is is like writing it, it's charting a map you know it's 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 writing it's writing your way from here to there it's getting you from here to there you know word by word line by line yeah i to continue rebecca's thought about the holding the book as a kind of talisman once they've moved through it i'm thinking too about how um, how nations are created, how belief systems, how na- how religions are created. They're, they begin with the act of writing, writing a constitution, writing a testament, writing a, you know, a, a code of thought or um, theory or belief. And to know that um, working through this book, you are writing your own constitution, you are writing your own testament, you are writing the, the, um, core principles of your truths, of your past, your present, and your future, and um, and the, there's a way in which then keeping this book and whether you return to it and perhaps rewrite a story, you know, every year, every five years, um, or at the you know at the end of a lifetime you will have these set of core principles that have provided you with um, the ground from which to to rise up and to move ahead as as a self integrated with your truth, with your honesty and with the stories that you are um, are choosing. Okay, just a final question for you both. The subtitle of What's Your Story is a journal for everyday evolution. What do you mean by everyday evolution? We loved the idea of everyday evolution because um, of everything that you've just been asking about, because change can feel so daunting, because making these transformative leaps in how we experience ourselves and the world around us can feel so overwhelming. Um, To know and to be able to rest in the knowledge that every day, we are changing every day. Change is inevitable. Every day I am becoming someone new. Every day I am writing a new story. I am evolving. And so in this knowledge that every day I am evolving, I'm going to um, you know, carve out the space to explore, to document some of that, to write some of that evolution down. Um, so that for me is 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 everyday evolution manageable yeah manageable and and also you know the that it's it's very um you know we we know we need to evolve as a as a species and when i say we need to evolve i mean we need to um we need to learn how to be better you know we need to learn how to be more compassionate more patient more loving more integrated with the earth we we need to have a better story <laughs> you know of of our role and our responsibility and our experience um we need to move toward a higher sense of um of being you know a higher level a higher as as we used to say a higher vibration you know and and telling the truth and and writing a story that is more aligned with a more evolved version of ourselves is a way to, to bring us there. And so, you know, we see the book as um, a way to evolve yourself, you know, to, to, you don't need anyone else. You have it within you. 
you know, sit with this book, sit with your mind, sit with your body, think about where you want to be, let go of the old, open yourself to the new or to the ancient, and just grow, you know, be bigger, you know, be better, um, evolve. My code language for the book, not your average journal. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> you would often be reading the questions to each other and just start laughing, imagining, you know, the person picking up the book for the first time, thinking they were, you know, holding your average guided journal and encountering this question that would just completely lay them bare. <laughs> exactly. This is a future powered, power packed journal. What's your story? A journal for everyday evolution. I've been talking with Rebecca Walker and Lily Diamond, the co-authors of this new Not Your Average journal. As you said, it's time. Let's go all the way. Let's take it all the way. With take it all the way. This this book. Yeah. Thank you both so much for being with me here on Insights at the Edge. Thank oh, you. Thank, thank you. Thank you, so Tammy. Much, Tammy. This was wonderful. What a wonderful conversation. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Insights at the Edge. You can read a full transcript of today's interview at soundstrue.com forward slash podcast. And if you're interested, hit the subscribe button in your podcast app. And also, if you feel inspired, head to iTunes and leave Insights at the Edge a review. I love getting your feedback, being in connection with you and learning how we can continue to evolve and improve our program. Working together, I believe, we can create a kinder and wiser world. Soundstrue.com, waking up the world.